So now for something terribly awkward. Um, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and uh, so today we're going to be talking about basically sex and marriage and some larger principles of marriage in general. And uh, with 50%, or right around 50% of every marriage uh, being unsuccessful um, and ending in divorce, uh, this is important stuff. And so, um, awkward as it is, uh, two rules today, no nudging, <laughs> and don't shoot the messenger. Okay. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, I, when Polaris started in 1999, I, I never wanted to talk about marriage in the early days. There were people on staff that had been married much longer. Uh, I know the, the senior guy, uh, Mike, was, was married 14 years, and I was a newlywed, you know, I was married like five months, and I just thought, with a guy that's been married forever, like 14 years... What do I got to say about marriage? I'm going to leave that to guys like that. Uh, and so I just never liked talking about marriage, partly because I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm certainly not an expert. I know you may think that being married to me, you know, every day a, a, a fresh wave of fulfillment and joy. Um, I don't know that that's Kelly's experience. Um, but what I do know is that... Um, Guess what I'm coming up on in July, my 14-year anniversary. So um, not to say that I'm a seasoned pro, but I'm starting to my argument against me sharing anything. So anyway, I'm just going to share from experience and from Scripture and from experts in the counseling realm, and, um, and we'll see what happens. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to talk about some, some difficult stuff. God, I want to pray that you would open our hearts to your word. Thank you for the gift of marriage. Um, thank you for the gift of singleness. And I pray that as we uh, explore your teachings, that our hearts are open to your advice, because it's your gift. Uh, marriage is your gift to us, and you know best what it takes to succeed. So um, I pray that this would bring couples closer together, not further apart. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, got a lot to cover today. So we're going to talk about 1 Corinthians 7, and then we're going to move to Ephesians 5, Paul's other teaching on marriage, and talk about some broader principles. Um, unfortunately for me right now, being up here sharing, um, 1 Corinthians 7 is pretty specific. And I'm just going to ask that you listen to this whole thing, and then we'll talk about the context, because it initially... Uh, in Paul's language, sounds, um, it seems to almost belittle sex and marriage um, in its language, but we'll talk more about that. Um, now, for the matters you wrote about me, it's on page 796, incidentally. Um, Paul's saying, for the matters you, Corinthian church, wrote about. So what we know is that the Corinthians had written a letter to Paul, who was an expert in church life, asking him, them, him specific questions about marriage. And we'll talk about what that question may have been. Um, Paul says, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but since sexual immorality is occurring, uh, each man should have 
sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves uh, to prayer. Now let me stop right there for a minute. And, and the language that Paul uses here is very difficult because he's using like almost like marketplace or legal bartering kind of language. So when he says deprive, what he's actually saying is defraud. Uh, what, what he's saying is don't cheat your spouse by not engaging in sexual relations. Don't, that's the word defraud. Don't cheat them from something. Um, he talks about duty and, and so like obligation. And, and that initially seems to remove all intimacy from the act itself. Now, there's much more scripture that has more to say about marriage and sex and, and brings out the, the intimacy aspects. But what Paul's doing is he's addressing a problem here. And what scholars uh, know to be the case in Corinth and in the early church is there was this movement, um, and it's still at work in the world today, the asceticism, which says basically pleasures are evil, inherently evil, and so they are to be avoided. Almost as if to say, the more miserable you are, the more spiritual you are. And, and so what's happening in this Corinthian church, it, Corinth was a city much like um, Las Vegas. So it was just known for the sexual temptation and sexual immorality that was everywhere in the city. And so these new Christians who weren't generational Christians, they were brand new, and Christianity was brand new, are trying to rebel against the sexual immorality by just writing off sex, married or not. And so not only were there husbands and wives who weren't on the same page with that, but there were also, like, you know, picture a situation where a husband and a wife, and the, and the husband um, becomes a follower of Jesus, and now has decided through some teaching that he got from somebody that there's no more sex in the marriage. And you can imagine the tension between a believing and a non-believing spouse. And, and my guess is that Jesus doesn't look too good to that non-believing spouse when all of a sudden this is the new rule. And so there's all this tension. And what Paul's saying basically is, no, there's nothing inherently spiritual about avoiding sex in marriage. In fact, he uses language of obligation and of actually cheating. You're actually cheating your spouse when you withhold this. And he's doing it... Um, not to give us a category for sex and put it in the obligation category, but he's saying that there is nothing godly about withholding sex in the context of marriage. Then he goes on, and this is probably the most important statement here. I just got to find it. <clears throat> it's down in verse 5. Then come to, he's talking about if there's ever a break in action... Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. Um, 
Scripture teaches that there is a Satan, and I believe that there is. There is a powerful force in the universe, not by any means God's equal, but competent and powerful nonetheless, and he's at work to destroy the things that matter to God. And so if you are married today, um, the Bible teaches plainly that Satan has a will for your marriage, and he's at work in your marriage, and he's scheming to break it apart. And uh, one of the schemes that Satan uses, Scripture says that one of the schemes, one of, one of his favorite schemes, is sexual temptation. And, and so 2,000 years ago, Paul says that Satan is at work in, in your marriage and sexual temptation, he's going to use that to try to break your marriage up. So in the past 2,000 years, does it look like Paul knew, Paul knew what he was talking about? Like, does that happen today? Absolutely, it happens today. <clears throat> sexual temptation and sin wrecks marriages all over the place. And what God says is, I love you and I love marriage and I'm trying to tell you how to help so that Satan cannot gain that as a foothold or a stronghold in your marriage. And I'm going to read the rest of this and go back to that. Now to the unmarried and to widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. The mar- to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. In other words, he's referring back to a teaching of Jesus in Scripture. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. So what Paul's saying here is marriage is a big, big deal. Now, if you can avoid it, it has its own set of problems. I mean, that's what Paul says. Um, but at the very least... It should be a way, and this is, this is where it's, you just got to look back to intent and not get caught up in the, at least it should be a way to help deal with some temptations in the world. Now, Scripture says marriage is much, 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 much more than that, so it's important to look at context of what Paul says here. But what Paul is definitely saying is that Satan's at work in your marriage, and if you can find ways to help each other fight off temptation, you should do that. And so let's talk about sexual temptation for a moment because we know that it's a factor. And, and what, what counselors are beginning to notice is it's not just like I know the, the cliche is that the husband wants it all the time and the wife always has a headache, okay? I know you've never heard that. I'm just telling you what I... Um, and, and, but what counselors are starting to find out is that it's, it's, it's not so much that anymore. It's really starting to swing. And, and so there are plenty of husbands that just aren't in the mood. And the wives that are. And so that's, so it's not just, I don't want to just, you know, hammer it like it's one cliche thing. It's not. People aren't cookie cutters and it's all different, different kinds of things. But sexual temptation is definitely a, a struggle in life. And in, in it, uh, probably a little bit more for men because men are very visual and it has to do with chemical, biological stuff. You can Google it, you know it's true. It's on the internet. Um, and actually, honestly and truthfully, if you want to read more about it, Tim LaHaye. The guy who wrote the Left Behind series wrote a book called The Act of Marriage, and he does a really good job of breaking down just male biology, chemical stuff and explains why it's a little different for men than it is for women. Uh, Anyway, I saw 1 Corinthians 7, 
flesh out a couple years ago. Um, I had uh, I was in an accountability type relationship with a couple different guys. And so one of the guys was a little bit younger. This is where I started to feel old because he started to like come to me for marriage advice because I had been married quite a bit longer than him. It's where I started to feel old. But, but he, he essentially, and this is again, listen to the whole thing before you grab the torch and pitchfork. Um, he said he struggled with internet pornography, as do many men. And, and he said... Um, you know, I got this battle, I hate it, I, I fall, I, I'm mad at myself, but, and again, listen to the whole thing, but my wife never makes herself available to me. She doesn't know that I have this struggle, I can't tell her, uh, and, and she's not making herself available. And he was quick to say, it's not her fault, it's not, this is my fault, I'm the one who engages in this lifestyle, I'm the one who falls to temptation, but it's just really hard. When I have this struggle, and Satan tempts me, and, and, and my spouse is laying right there next to me, completely unavailable, and it was like he either had to endure the temptation and fight, or fall, but he spoke of, of that struggle uh, of the temptation and, and no real, and this is where it's so minimized, and I want, but like no real sanctioned outlet, even though there was one that was like built in through marriage. At the same time, I had a relationship with another guy who, um, who told me an accountability type relationship, and he told me, um, Alex, if I ever sin sexually, hit me with a baseball bat. Because my wife has made it known to me that if I'm stressed, if I'm struggling with temptation, let her know and she will be available to me. And, and now here's the thing. The, 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 I don't say that to say right, wrong, make excuses, anything like that. But what we, the principle we see is the same principle in 1 Corinthians 7 here. One guy, could be women too, I'm not, this just, you know, I don't tend to get into dialogues with women about their sexual temptation. Um, one guy felt strong to fight temptation. Another guy felt very weak. And it was all 1 Corinthians 7 being lived out. Um, one guy was empowered one guy had to do it on his own. Another way, I've read, I don't want to take credit for this. I can't remember where I read it. Um, <clears throat> it's the equivalent of to go another route. Um, if, if a spouse had the ability to make magic chocolate cake that was no calories, no fat, no sugar, and delicious. And... and um, you were on a diet, you know, calorie-restricted diet, and it's like, I can either go hungry, and you got hunger pains, and, and you got a, a hunger headache, and, and it, can I get some of that chocolate cake, please? Because I really don't want the, the celery and carrots, and I, and I really don't want to get into those donuts over there. They're so, can, can I just have some, and, 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 you know, the very real hunger, and the spouse said, no, no, I'm not going to make the, the chocolate cake for you. But you better not be eating those donuts. 
that's the dynamic of you could picture if that were if that were real the tension of i don't want in those donuts i don't want to eat that stuff and my spouse expects me to not eat that stuff but i got this headache and it would go away if i would just and and you just so there are other ways to think about it but it's it's a very real temptation a very real solution and first corinthians 7 says that they're supposed to come together okay enough about that um I'm going to do something here that I don't normally do, and I feel a little guilty about it, but um, I, I'm, I'm telling you I don't normally do this so that it comes across as a big deal because this is a big deal to me. I'm going to plug a book, and I'm going to teach from a book, and I, I don't like that, doing that, and I don't do that very often, but I'm going to here. Um, the book is Love and Respect. I'm going to get back to it in a second. Um, let me jump. Um, same author. The Apostle Paul uh, wrote a lot more than just 1 Corinthians 7 about marriage. Um, he wrote Ephesians 5, a letter to the, uh, the Christians in Ephesus. So I'll go ahead if you want to turn to Ephesians. I'm going to read it if not. Um, okay. No nudging. Wives. This is verse 22. Submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. It goes on in 33. Each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, verse 33 Wives have a job, and husbands have a job. The husband's job is to love, he must love his wife. The wife has a job. She must respect her husband. Now, it's that little phrase there that I think gets overlooked in a lot of marriage counseling, in marriage books, and marriages. Um, because it's, it's fairly intuitive to say love must be unconditional. It's a little more of a leap to go where Paul does 2,000 years ago and say respect is unconditional. Because it doesn't say respect your husbands, assuming he does this, this, and this. It says wives must respect their husbands. And let me move on to this, this book here. Um, 
It's a book called Love and Respect by Dr. Emerson Egriches. And uh, counselors that I know and counselors that I don't know are finding great success with the principles in this book, which is built as basically all he's doing is fleshing out Ephesians 5.33. Love your wives and respect your husbands. And he's implemented it in his own practice. But I've also known real husbands and wives in my life who have benefited greatly from this book. And I've even seen them, and Kelly and I have worked through it. And, and it, it has a lot of very good advice. And so I'm going to plug this, and I don't normally do this. If you're married, you should read this book. And you should put its principles in action. And I don't care how long you've been married, there will be things in this book that enhance your marriage. And if you've got issues, I want to recommend that you get good marriage counseling and read this book. Um, because there is just a lot of potential. So I'm going to take the rest of my time here, maybe eight minutes or so, walk you through the three main principles of this book, and I hope you'll go buy it (coughs) when we get done. Um, And and the first is just the concept of of love and respect. And and so um, fairly well known and understood, and I don't think any, and again, nobody's a cookie cutter. God doesn't, you know, stamp, 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 and everybody comes out the same. So different men and women have different needs and wants. But generally speaking, the wife's number one need in a marriage is to feel love from her husband. I don't know too many wives that would disagree with that statement. Above anything, women generally need to feel love. Number one. But for men, what, what studies have shown is even, even without thinking about it, three out of four men um, will say that if they had to pick between going through life with no love but with respect or going through life with no respect but with love, most men will take respect over love. It can be fairly, generally speaking, most of the time, men need respect more than anything else in life. And and so, and I can tell you that as I'm, I I don't know if I would have labeled that before inhaling the information in this book, but once you begin to think about that, uh, you know, for me, yeah. Um, And and just to be extra vulnerable here, I feel like I can do about anything and deal with about anything. Like I've had struggles in my personal life and in you know, ministry life and challenges and trials. Um, but if I feel like my wife respects me, I can deal with just about anything. Um, I can have a pretty bad week, but if I feel like my wife respects me, I can shake it off. Um, and, and so, so the, the basic, it's, it's fairly simple. If a husband is doing everything he can to show his wife love, and a wife is doing everything she can to show respect for her husband, a lot of this stuff works itself out. Um, but, and this is where the second premise of the book is, it's the crazy cycle, he calls it. 
and it's unintentional. At least he, he says it, I agree with it. The crazy cycle says that unintentionally, in the heat of battle, um, men tend to fight in unloving ways, and women tend to fight in disrespectful ways. So let's flesh it out. Let's blame the husband first, because it's probably our fault. Um, uh, the husband is out with the guys too many nights in a row. And so the wife uses words, let's just say, uses words to express her frustration with what he's doing, and it comes off as snappy, a little angry. So what's the husband feel? He feels disrespect. So she felt a lack of love because he's not home. She fought with words in a way that he perceived as disrespect. He responds, I've heard that men sometimes stonewall. Um, he responds by not talking. Okay, he shuts down. She feels a lack of love. She responds with more anger and more words. And it goes back and forth like this where they start to fight by withholding love and with disrespect. And suddenly there's this massive wall driven in because that's the way they fight, with disrespect and by withholding love. And when I look, and, and you even, even think about, you know, not only in, in my own marriage, because I'm by no means perfect, um, but you look around and you watch couples fight, and you know that's, that's what happens. So what he says needs to happen is you just kind of write off the bad stuff and know it's going to happen. You devote yourself in your marriage to pouring into those two things. Wives, devote yourself to respecting your husband and showering him with respect. And husbands, you devote yourself, no matter what, to showering your wife with love in meaningful ways. And everything just kind of works out. And i got to tell you, as a husband, I don't know too many husbands that wouldn't think, yeah, that would be pretty much paradise. To have a, a wife who just showers respect on you all day. I mean, that, that, we're, we're pretty simple. And, that's, and, and it's kind of when you think about it, and I'm going to spend the rest of my time walking through some of the things he says matters to, to men and, and women in the respect and love. But when you when, think about a dating couple, think about maybe you're in college, or, or you can see every now and then, even on down the line, you know, 50, 60-year-old couples that you see when they're still dating and you watch them walk into a restaurant and she's just leaning over and like, you know, just stroking his ego up one side, down the other because she just can't take it. He's the greatest thing. Every idea he has, every... She's building his ego up, which is one of the highest forms of respect. And he's just, oh, really, tell me about your day. And they're calling and they're talking and they're investing in each other. And really what he's doing is showing that she is number one and what she's doing is telling him, I think you're great. And that's why it works. And then all of a sudden, there's kids and there's bills and there's house and there's friends and there's, and that kind of stuff just fades and you stop feeding those two needs and other priorities take the place. So let's start out. Do we got slides? I actually made a slide for today. Um, can I at least have mine? Can I have mine back there or not? Okay. 
So, acronyms. We're going from memory. Um, I can do it. <clears throat> um, the, the, the acronym for women <laughs> is couple. Couple. C-O-U-P-L-E. Couple. And, and so husbands, couple. You want to pour these things into your wife. I'm going to cheat. It's, it's, wait a minute, wait, now i got to do it. Closeness, openness, understanding, uh, peacemaking, loyalty, and esteem. Now i got to recall it one thing. Okay, so closeness is the idea of oneness. You're at one, you're, you're, you're together, it's togetherness, whether it's sitting, and this is where we, uh, women are different, and they're going to want different things in different ways. You have to figure out. And it could change. It's a moving target. Um, I've heard. Uh, it's the idea of oneness and, and just togetherness and closeness. And, and, and so and, and, and that it's the one that's probably, probably the, most, um, the most intuitive. Um, it's just that idea of loving to be with. Your wife needs to know that you love to be with her and that you desire to think similarly and, and that there's, there's true partnership and all that. Um, the second one, the O, openness. This can be very difficult for guys. Um, I'm a talker. I don't mind, honestly, sharing my feelings when I have them to share. But that, that's, you watch, and this is one of those things where I, I, will, be, I will be sitting at Panera uh, working on a sermon for a couple hours, and, and like three women will come and sit down in the booth next to me. And they're talking while they're walking, while they're ordering, while they're moving, then they sit down, and the conversation continues for an hour and a half, sharing feelings and thoughts and dreams. And then they get up and they talk on the way out to the car and they stand by the car and they talk. Then they get in their car and they get on their phones. <laughs> and, and so this is that idea, though, of openly sharing feelings. A way that your wife receives love from you. Um, understanding has to do with sympathy and empathy and really working to understand her feelings. Your wife will generally feel love when you try to make sure she knows you care what's on her mind. And that really matters. Peacemaking is, is the idea of, of don't tolerate anger, don't tolerate conflict. In your marriage, work until it's resolved. That's a big deal to a wife. Don't, don't, Generally speaking, women don't compartmentalize as well as men. They say men are like waffles and women are like spaghetti. Men can compartmentalize things and that's that section and that section and that section, whereas women generally... Peacemaking is, is a, a, a big deal. Loyalty is I only have eyes for you. Um, anything you can do to show that you are loyal um, and that, you know, the opposite of that is putting your wife down in public. Um, I obviously have a, you know, I've made some big mistakes in that in my life because I'm a joker and I say a lot of stupid things. Um, and then esteem is anything you can do to use your words to affirm and uplift. That's the, generally speaking, not all those, 
You know, you just got to find what are the few that, that really resonate and show love for your wife. And, and that energizes that. And, and for men, the, the word is chairs. It's, it's chairs. Um, and it's, it's conquest. Respect your husband's desire to work and build um, and succeed and achieve. And anything you can do to use your words to affirm what he does. Uh, one of the things that, that he suggests, and I, I mean, if, if, you're, if, you're, if your guy's a motorhead, when he's working out in the garage and you could care less what he's doing, just go take a lawn chair out there and sit with him while he's working and read your book or whatever. I mean, you know, anything you can do to show that you respect and, and um, I just to be really stupid here um, and, and embarrass myself, every now and then I'll be, I'll be mowing the lawn. And I'll look out and see that Kelly has come out and is just sitting out there while I'm mowing the lawn. And that, for some stupid reason, is meaningful to me. Um, it just any, anything that you can do to affirm your appreciation for what your guy does. Okay, the second, the, the H is hierarchy. Um, men have a need to be men. And there's just that built in, and I don't care how much... Uh, the, the, the law of the playground, whatever, men have a need to be men, and, and anything you can do to let him be a man and affirm that he is, it's the, it's the strength and, and, and all that. Um, a is something I don't remember. Um, let me cheat here. I did all right until, until that. Um. For men, it's, it's a lot of just you're using your words to tell them how great they are. Insight. Insight. Men like to think they're right and like to figure things out. And so by you letting him and by affirming that, that that's a big deal. And it, and it shows respect to your husband. A relationship is that um, shoulder-to-shoulder kind of thing where, where whether it's letting your husband appropriately, you know, go out with guys and, you know, You've got to find that right balance. Um, but men have a desire to be close uh, and do things together with people, shoulder to shoulder, generally speaking, not all men, but it's, it, it shows respect when you're willing uh, to let him do those things. And then, and then um, the, the S, guess what the S is? <laughs> um, sexuality. And so we, we, we talked about it, but there are some biological and chemical needs. Men are very visual, and, and, um, and, and so a lot of it has to do with just body chemistry. Uh, but that is a, a, a sign of respect that, that you can honor. Um, and that's all I want to say about that. I, let's do this. Let me close with this, okay? Um, another book. I, I haven't read this. I've read about it. Um, one of the books that's tearing up the world right now in the Christian marriage scene is called Sexperiment. Sexperiment. And it's by Ed and Lisa Young. Ed is a pastor of a megachurch in Texas. And he wrote a book um, and, and actually had a little movement in his church, which I would guess probably caused quite a bit of growth. Um, he challenged husbands and wives to have sex every day for a week, seven days in a row. And and it seemed very gimmicky, and I was very skeptical when I heard about this. But it's revolutionizing marriages, and it's spreading all over the country. And here's what's happening. 
Um, and I don't know whether it was intended or whether it was just one of those unintentional byproducts. Um, what it's really doing is exposing the priorities problem in that if you are going to rearrange your schedule to have that time together for seven days in a row, you begin to see what creeps in. I mean, you've got to think about when you're going to do your shopping, when you're going to pay your bills, uh, what are you going to do with the kids, how, you, how are you going to orchestrate your life? And then for the husband, after like five days in a row, he's got a full tank, he's good to go. But, you know, it would be normally when he might be tempted to just go out with the guys because he, you know... But no, there's that commitment. And what it's done is it exposed in all of this stuff. The real problem is a problem of priorities. When you got stuff in your marriage, it's because there's a priorities problem. Somewhere there's a priorities problem. And the love that we started out with has faded. And it exposes everybody wants a happy marriage that's married. And, and things just creep in. And, and this is all really a matter of saying, okay, here are the problems. I'm going to fight for the real priorities. It's what God wants for your marriage. It's win-win all the way around. Um, but starting with Scripture and God's principles is the best way to get things figured out. All right, I'm done. Let's pray and... Um, and we're going to do one more song, I think, right? You guys are getting up, so I assume that that's on for today. Anything you need to pray about at all, you come up while we're singing. Go ahead and stand. <clears throat> so anything at all you need to pray about, we'll be waiting down front. Uh, let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of, of marriage and thank you for the gift of singleness. And um, we pray right now for those of us who are married because it's, um, it's a wonderful gift, but it also is a demanding gift. It's hard. And, and nothing is more fulfilling, but also there are priorities and everything else, that, and, and, and Satan, the enemy. Pray that you would, by the power of your spirit, um, help us to fight for our marriages. Help us to fight tenaciously for our marriages and for the marriages of our friends and family. And we know that you're fighting with us. In Jesus' name, amen.